Welcome to Talk Racing to Me with Naomi, show 46. I wouldn't leave you without a wrap-up of everything that has happened over the last week in Dubai or England, now would I? Also, if you did watch the Group 1 Shima Classic, you know that the mighty Mishrif won. And here is a throwback to jockey David Egan doing a quick sound check beforehand during last week's show. Mishrif is going to win the Shima Classic by 10 lengths on the bridle. <laughs> he is. Uncontested. He is. Well, he didn't win by 10 or uncontested, but Egan did notch his first ever Group 1 victory. As for today's show, Emmett Kennedy from the Final Furlong podcast, the number one horse racing pod in the UK and Ireland, joined me this week as we kick things off by discussing a very recent developments in England. Quite some breaking news coming out that might have widespread effect for the jockey colonies across the globe. Jockey Freddie Tillicky is suing jockey Graham Gibbons for six million UK pounds in relation to the fall that left Tillicky paralyzed in 2016. In addition, Young Rising Star Apprentice Benoit, the Lassayette, was in the news due to a video that was released in which he was linked to banned substances. Leave it to Emmett and I to bring you up to speed on everything that has uh, been going on and the news that's broken in the last couple of days. But of course, we also go over the Dubai World Cup results in great depth afterwards. If anything, you will be entertained for the next hour or so. Hello, Emmett. So wonderful uh, to join me again on Talk Racing to me. First things first, uh, I know it's late where you are. Are we still awake? <laughs> How are we doing? Well, I'm wide awake. I'm a, I'm, I'm a night owl. I'm trying to change that. Uh, not really not really working uh, so far. But yeah, uh, wide awake in the good old Republic of Ireland where um, there's interesting news. Uh, emerging in the world of uh, racing. I was about to go and ask you about, about that, but we are going to review the Dubai World Cup Carnival. But before that, we're going to talk about some European news. I, I wouldn't call it gossip, but it nearly felt like that. Quite a, a couple of breaking stories that you alerted me to. I do try and follow the headlines as much as I could, but there was one in particular that you told me came out today and it was involving something that actually happened a fair few years ago. Yeah, yes, it did. Um, Freddie Tillicky suffered a horrific injury uh, when riding at Kempton back in 2016. Um, he was uh, he was on a horse called um, Madam Butterfly, and uh, apologies, Madam Butterfly was the eventual winner of the race. He was on Nelly Dean, and uh, he um, clipped heels and fell, and he brought down two other runners. I remember watching the race at, at the time, and it looked horrific, but you're kind of, as a racing fan, you're almost desensitized to a jockey falling like mm -hmm. just just as a pure example and sorry to blow the minds of um uh, american racing fans everywhere but in the three mile seven furlong cross-country chase uh rachel blackmore fell 
and uh, or unseasoned rider dusted herself off got up and just kept on going and we kind of get into a, a habit of that she goes on and becomes champion jockey at Jeldon. we kind of get into a habit of this thing of, of looking at jockeys as iron men and iron women but they're not those falls they all take a toll they all add up and they all do serious damage and um you could tell by the fact that um they weren't cutting back the camera wasn't cutting back to where freddie was that there was a serious problem um initially i thought it was with the horse but you find out then it's actually with poor freddie and uh, he he was paralyzed um so this this was then um, a story really of, of Freddie reinventing himself into uh, a broadcaster. Um, he has signed to Sky Sports Racing. He was involved in the promo photos for the the opening of Sky Sports Racing. In fact, he was on Sky Sports Racing on Saturday uh, while the Dubai World Cup coverage was on. But at no point did um, did anybody think that this was going to come out. Uh, whether you wanted to apportion blame to Graham Gibbons or not is entirely up to the viewer. But if you want to go watch the race, it was the 20, it was, uh, it was 2016 Kempton. And um, Freddie Tillichie is suing Graham Gibbons for six million pounds. Which is quite a staggering number. And we were, we were saying beforehand, before we started recording, that this could have widespread repercussions for jockeys across the globe because there are falls and there are errors that are made during races for which jockeys are punished, uh, you know, stewards, inquiries, fines, bans, but nothing like this has really occurred before, right? I'm, if, if it has happened before, I'm not aware of it. I, I'm aware of jockeys going and punching another one because they, <laughs> they cut them. They cut yep, them yep, we've seen that. Yeah. And they cut them up. So getting back to Freddie Tillicky, as you, Tilicky, sorry, I managed to butcher that straight away. Um, as you mentioned, I, I don't think anyone expected this to happen. And, and certainly on the top of my head, a very unprecedented move. Uh, I do think that the five-day hearing is been set to take place from November 2019 at the Royal Courts of Justice on the Strand in London. Now, this is all you know, sourced by the Racing Post. So certainly... We're going to hear a fair bit about this. And as I said, I think it's going to have, you know, all our eyes and ears across the globe because this will have an effect on other jockeys as well. Perhaps it might give raise to some other people that have had accidents to think, okay, if this is taken seriously, perhaps we should do this as well. Now, I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing, but it certainly is something that we have to respect and have to see how it will evolve. And uh, yeah, wondering, I mean, this might be a good question for you. Wondering if you look at the stewards presenting days and a fine, you think that's the be all and end all. And now all of a sudden you're looking at 
what we would say an outside of the industry kind of event or lawsuit taking place. Is that the right move? Uh, great question. Uh, I think the the comparisons that come to mind is that, that for you and me as broadcasters and fans and your very loyal listeners uh, will, re- will remember uh, three-time Kentucky Derby winner Calvin Burrell uh, on NBC punching someone in the winner's enclosure because he... Um, he felt like he'd been cut up. Uh, I, I remember Kieran Fallon pulling a jockey, uh, an opponent, off uh, off his horse as they crossed the line. Um, normally, this stuff gets sorted out in the in the winners' enclosure, but we've also had like we have had situations where there have been horrific injuries, and um, the one that stands out in in the Republic of Ireland is is JT McNamara, who was a, a brilliant brilliant qualified rider um and uh you kind of knew when he didn't get up that it wasn't going to be good but we didn't realize it would be that bad and um he unfortunately uh, was was paralyzed from the neck down um and it's a reminder of how dangerous racing is but there is there's lots of different arguments that can be made about how these things happen. Like, does a jockey intentionally, is a jockey ever, and I've asked jockeys this, I've asked National Hunt jockeys this on the Final Forum podcast, and I've asked flat jockeys this. Is a, is a jockey ever intentionally going to go out of their way to effectively harm a weighing room colleague? that's what we're talking about here really that, that mm-hmm. that's what this is going to come down to and all of them have said no i couldn't even imagine it could never imagine it and uh freddie tillicky is alleging that that is what happened and um that he called out gibbo uh as it as the horse was starting as madame butterfly was starting to edge across um the defense said that uh it was a racing accident uh, occasioned by the horses coming together uh, the defense states the the defendant was not even guilty of careless misjudgment so the stewards didn't necessarily take action on the day uh, an inquiry mm-hmm. held on the day by the kempton steward actually found that the incident was accidental so we're in a whole, whole new um, world yeah. here. And, and you've made a really good point, Naomi. This case is, is unprecedented, but it's also going to have a global effect because each jurisdiction has their own rules. And uh, the, the French, to be fair, have kind of started to fall in line more with the British rules, which is, which is interesting. But we, when when Irish horses and jockey jockeys go over to America, we very much respect the rules that are there. Powers Court getting yeah. kicked out of the Iron Two Million—that's fine. You know, we, we understand why. Um, you cause interference, you're gone. Uh, but this, Jesus, I mean, this this could this could. I can understand why. I I I don't know. 
I can't imagine for a second what Freddie has gone through. But a six million pound court case is uh, something that is not just going to affect British racing. This is going to reverberate around the world. It it absolutely will. And I think it's a key point here. What you said is the argument of malicious intent, whereas listening and I've watched a race back myself, which is obviously I don't really recommend it to anyone. It's pretty horrific to, to see it and knowing what, what happened to Freddie and yeah, what, what came out of it. But to me, there is a difference between someone making a choice in a racing setting that benefits him and the horse he's on perhaps at the detriment of another jockey. But like, for example, you're shutting a door on someone that can't get out of a hole kind of thing. Like that is what it's reminding me of. But clearly, obviously, Graham perhaps making a wrong judgment there, putting someone in danger. But I still don't think that that would be done with the initial intent of bringing someone down. I think that is a really, you know, you're skipping a couple of steps there. You know what I mean? That's sort of what comes to mind for me. But of course, I don't know the specifics of that, but that's how it seems to me. So it'd be just super interesting to see how this uh, will develop. I do wonder if this has been brought about by the fact that Graham Gibbons has had uh, a number of run-ins with the racing officials. Uh, This is a man who was Mm -hmm. banned for two years for testing positive for cocaine, which is going to, spoiler alert for the next story, Um, he... he, um, he also uh, was uh, found to have been, uh, uh, he's, he's been convicted of drink driving four times. Like, gee, what are you supposed to say about that? He, he was uh, jailed for 16 weeks on the back of that. So there's, he's had a lot of run-ins with the, um, with the BHA. He's had a lot of run-ins with the racing authorities. And I wonder if that plays in some way into this, um, into into the decision-making behind taking this. I wonder, has Freddie been persuaded by a legal team or a legal hotshot to, to go for it? It, it could well be because it could be based on, on character and that they could make the argument that he wasn't capable of making the right decisions by turning up in a certain state, perhaps. I'm not saying that's what they're going to argue. Allegedly, and hence yeah, putting yeah. someone else in danger by doing so with the history uh, that he's shown to have as indeed you you mentioned uh, cocaine use and that's also indeed the segue into the other story that came out uh, only you know less than a few days ago I dare say one day ago actually I think it came out what is it the 29th or the 30th um, we had a, a we have a young star uh, coming onto the scene in Benoit de la Sayette, an apprentice rider now riding for John Gosden. And he won the Lincoln, of course, uh, you know, a staple in the UK. And then a video came out. And uh, I'll let you tell the listeners what, what kind of was on that video. Yes, yeah, so the Lincoln is the the handicap that, first of all, may I applaud you on the excellent pronunciation of the jockey's name, and I shall leave it at that. You can have the pronunciation, because I ain't touching it with a brush. Well, <laughs> I will butcher it. But, um, uh, yeah, he has had uh, uh, an interesting time. Um so this young man is 18 years of age. He, his family are friends with 
uh, Frankie Dettori's family. Uh, I believe Frankie Dettori has has coached him and has been involved in in helping him and, and saw him as somebody who could be uh, a potential future champion, uh, potential uh, ex- potential exceptionally talented jockey. Um, and he went to John Gosden and said, "Would you give him? Would you would you let Benoit come in and?" be a, a work writer to which john replied to my knowledge no but he can muck out for us and he did and he did all the hard work that you're supposed Solid to do reply <laughs> exactly yeah he did he did all the work that you're supposed to do and uh, it resulted in him finally being being given opportunities but all of them came on the all weather he'd never ridden on grass before never and um, that was one of the things that, that people were a little bit concerned about in the Lincoln itself. Um, he rides Hakiki uh, with a seven pound claim. He could have been giving, he could have had, uh, he could have been seven pounds overweight, Naomi, and the horse would have won. But that being said, horses win races. When they win by a wide margin, why do they win? Well, they win because the jockeys made the right decision at the right time. He positioned the horse perfectly, broke well, um, rode him with extreme confidence, um, and pushed the button at exactly the right time. He didn't go too soon. He didn't leave it too late. He went at the right time. And uh, John Gosden was full of praise for him afterwards. Two days later... That praise is kind of gone uh, because a video emerges, as you said, of um, uh, the young man at a party. Now, it was tried to be spun that he was celebrating having won the Lincoln. Uh, This isn't true. Uh, First of all, we're in COVID. We're in lockdown. Like Ireland is the same as the UK. Nowhere is open. Um, But it's actually, to me, and, and... I think you feel the same way. Uh, it's it's actually worse. Uh, the video was actually taken in 2019, which means he was 16. And uh, it features two men, two grown men, using a credit card and cutting up cocaine in a toilet. Um, and uh, he's videoing it. And for some reason... Put it up on his Snapchat, and uh, somebody, somebody recorded it and uh, released it on Twitter, and they did so to cause either maximum damage to him or maximum damage to the sport of of racing. And racing has come under attack. Uh, we've had um, a shocking image of Gordon Elliott, who has rightly been suspended for six months. Shocking image of Rob James. Shocking video of him. Uh, rightly suspended for six months, um, but this is this is concerning because this is a sixteen-year-old who is not a not a licensed jockey, who is with two men who we don't know, we don't know who they are, uh, but it's clearly cocaine that they're using, and um, cocaine we just referenced in, in the last story is a recurring theme in flat racing so why why is this a recurring theme amongst flat jockeys in the uk 
this is something that the BHA really need to get a grip on and really need to get a handle on very, very fast. And for this young man, he must feel like his world has fallen apart because he's gone from being this hero. I mean, he's he, he his highness biggest he, moment of his career. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, you're and then this comes out. And and you've just ridden a winner for the daughter of Hamdan al Maktoum, and we're all wondering, you know, Hamdan al Hamdan al Maktoum's influence on horse racing cannot be understated, you know, it cannot be overstated. Uh, he he was a, a force, a force of nature, um, and he was committed to producing the best racehorses that he possibly could, and um, wasn't afraid to go and, and splash the cash. Um, and he's passed away, and so has Khaled Abdullah, and they both have stud farms. Uh, both have stud farms in the UK, and and in the Republic of Ireland. Uh, it, so there's a there's a serious worry there about that legacy and what how that how that carries on. And here you have his daughter winning the big season opener, the traditional season opener, the Lincoln, and it's ridden by this young man. And that's all taken away the next day. Yeah. So there's no, there is, I have to stress, Naomi, there is no hint whatsoever that he himself indulged in uh, this drug. But cocaine is becoming a, a recurring story in British racing. And that is something that the BHA really need to get, get a handle on. I, I like um, how you, you tied it together. Of course, horse racing seems to be receiving blow after blow after blow. Uh, of course, uh, Sheikh Hamdam passing away last week, and we've already lost uh, Khalid Abdullah from Judmont as well, as you mentioned. And then you see a rising star that's obviously hoping to do well in this industry, uh, riding for Sheikh Hamdam's daughter, and now a video come out. And then I do, I do question... Um, the statement that the Professional Jockey Association came out with, because that's what you highlighted as well, that they said, well, actually, uh, he wasn't a licensed rider. And when that video was taken, allegedly it was recorded in October 2019 in Lambourne, and he was 16, which to me makes it even worse, because clearly a lot younger and really sort of precarious situation that he's in. But then they did, as you reiterated as well, say, nor did he take it or has ever taken that drug. He went home to his family after this ride. But clearly, you know, a lot of damage was done with him and done to him, excuse me, most likely, as you mentioned, malicious intent from whoever posted that video. And that's just very, very sad to see during a time that horse racing really can't use that continuation of blows to the image, to the integrity of our sport, not just in Europe, but uh, across the globe. And we might hint on this a, a little bit later when we talk about something else. So it's it's not been the greatest um, of periods, but I, God, as we'll leave no. this uh, to breathe and, and we'll see how this further unfolds, let's get back to some some positive positive topics here uh, we've just kind of you know given the lay of the land currently in europe and i'm very glad uh, that you've shared your expertise on it but let's let's talk about some of the upcoming features now 
I'm not going to right now talk about the Kentucky Derby because I'm definitely going to do a whole podcast on it and I'll hopefully join you for a whole special on it as well, uh, yes. Emmett. Let's yes. talk about the race that takes place on the same day, first Saturday in May. It's just a, you know, quite the day around the world in terms of horse racing because aside from the Kentucky Derby, we also always in the morning for, for us Americans, whoever is an American, we watch uh, the 2000 guineas from Newmarket and we're uh, a month away from well nearly a month away it's Wednesday now we're, we're coming up to a month away and you were telling me that you certainly have a, a strong opinion already in the uh, anti-post market yeah I've I've had a right swing at this race to be completely honest with it since since we last spoke um was it I'm trying to remember was it 2018 or 2019 when uh when Mendelssohn uh went over for the Kentucky Derby uh, whichever year it was, Ooh, um, I think it was twenty nineteen. I think. Let I think you're right. I, I think he won as a juvenile at the Breeders' Cup Turf, uh, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf in twenty eighteen, and then he went for. Uh, no, no, no. It would have been twenty eighteen, because twenty eighteen was when he won the UAE Derby. Ah. Twenty eighteen because twenty nineteen was plus Parfait. Brendan Walsh, because I do remember, because I was there that year. So I'm like, no, it wasn't my year. So it must have been the year before, because obviously last year we had no Dubai World Cup. So oh, there we are. Oh, <laughs> we had we had no a lot of everything. Jesus, let's not go. Let's not go down that road. But that's why they pay Naomi the big bucks, folks, because she knows her stuff and she has a photographic memory. Um, yeah. So that was uh, Dunnick O'Brien. I think won his first classic that that year. Uh, he rode Saxon Warrior to victory in the two ten in the two thousand guineas. Um, also came in for a lot of support. Uh, but Ryan Moore, the retained jockey, who is obviously a big, big part of everything that they do at Ballyloyal, went to America for the Kentucky Derby with Mendelssohn, and it didn't quite work out. Uh, this year, no, I don't think Aiden O'Brien's going to be sending anything over for the Kentucky Derby. Quite frankly, um, I don't think so either. <laughs> Uh, and it, he certainly won't be sending Battleground over. Um, Battleground, I, you and I spoke about this off, off air yesterday. We're both in agreement that he's better than what he showed at Keeneland. And, uh, and what he showed wasn't bad at Keeneland, might I add. Oh, yeah, I, I would agree. But your your view was the, 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 tight, um, the tight turns and the tight bends at Keeneland would be a... Uh, massive hindrance to them well in, in general when you see european horses come over they don't always fare well when it comes to those tighter turf tracks uh, the example i think i used last time speaking with you was cameco uh, of course a classic winner in the uk coming over and struggling with those tight bends he's more of that sort of straight mile you know the roly mile uh, that's more his game because you can cruise and cruise and cruise and build and build Whereas to be successful at a tighter turf track, you have to be able to carry that speed around a bend. And I don't always think that necessarily that's the Euro's specialism, unless you're looking at, you know, your, your smaller sprinters that are much more nimble. But Battleground running second in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf over a mile behind fire at will, I think was a, a wonderful achievement. Of course, Battleground uh, first fall, out of the legendary found who did very well uh, stateside herself uh, winning the British Cup turf. And of course she's uh, uh, the arc heroine as well. So just a, a wonderful legacy that hopefully we, we 
we're going to see much more of. She was one of my favorite racehorses, actually. She's so, so tough. But Battleground, to me, getting back to looking at him pointing towards the 2,000 guineas, I think that's going to play into his hand, the type of horse that he most likely will continue to develop into. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And um, your, your point about founders is very important as well. I mean, he was made for the Breeders' Cup uh, juvenile sort of like a, a war front out of found. Of course, he's going to go there. Uh, why wouldn't he? Unless he had taken the Dewhurst. And I think he had met with a small, slight little setback. And also Aidan O'Brien had St. Mark's Basilica, so it didn't really matter. Um, he was able to take the race anyway. but. Um, the the tragedy we found is that she's she's fine, but um, she keeps being barren, and um, that's uh, not a nice thing. Um, yeah. So battleground is was her first, and so far only um, racehorse, and and so Coolmore understand better than anybody uh, just how important a horse like him is going to be, and how important she is. Um, they'll keep trying, and they will do all they can. Uh, with her and uh, hopefully she will be able to produce more because she was some some tough tough racehorse and he's clearly um he has clearly taken an awful lot of uh of her side like the, the that galileo found blood is very much there mixed in with the warfront class um he was uh, beaten on debut at nace but Aidan O'Brien was on the Final Front podcast with me last year explaining that we were in weird times last year. Like up was down, black was white, cats were living with dogs. The world was gone crazy. And uh, they just fired a lot of two-year-olds out. And they had to get them fired out because Royal Ascot is vital to Coolmore. It's, it's something that they're very important. It's very important to them to support. Uh, so the fact that he was beaten on debut and was then able to come out and win, um, admittedly not a particularly strong race, was very impressive. He then goes to Goodwood and wins by two lengths uh, against Devious Company, whose form is pretty decent, is is very strong. And the vibes that are coming out of Ballydoyle, and I know that this happens every year, but genuinely the vibes that are coming out like even on the grapevine are massive about battleground um he will be a miler mile 10 furlongs maximum i would think um it would be i would love the idea of seeing him in the breeders cup classic at the end of the season i would love that but we'll come to that later on i suspect with the dubai world cup um but when you go through the betting for the race Aidan O'Brien dominates it. He's got St. Mark's Basilica, the Dewhurst winner. Uh, his son, Joseph, in his own right, has uh, the winner of the um, Vincent O'Brien National Stakes. Now, he is officially a winner of three races. Uh, sorry, he's officially uh, have, have had three races. We don't do what you do in America. We don't give the barrier trials um, uh, in, included in the form he won a barrier trial and he won it by a country mile so he can be upgraded and uh, that means that he has more experience as well um, Wembley is is tough as old boots high definition is a horse who is fascinating particularly given the fact that the 
the grandson of the founder of Opal, the car maker, <laughs> has uh, invested heavily in Coolmore. And uh, the guy's worth 2.5 billion euro. Trust so you to I, know this tidbit. So <laughs> I, I did think, not know. So I think Coolmore were like, yeah, I think we can trust you. Yeah, fine. Yeah, and you come there, son. Yeah, yeah, you got a bit of money to spend, have you? Brilliant. And uh, they splashed a lot of cash, a lot of cash. So he comes up as Westberg. Uh, come, that's how. That's the way his uh, his bloodstock company comes up as. Uh, so just keep an eye on that because I think he will be a, a very interesting member of the of the alliance with Coolmore, but um. I, who's your banker? Who who are well, we using as a price play? Well, I, I'm not responsible for this, but uh, I told you yesterday that Max Sweeney was 33 to one. Well, he's not 33 to one anymore. Oh, he's twenties. Um, am I responsible for this? Nah. Who, who have you have, been telling? I don't have the I don't have the cred to to have that. Uh, look, th- this horse is highly regarded. He's trained not far from from where I live uh, in Kilkenny. Um, Jim Bulger is his trainer. Jim Bulger is an absolute legend. Obviously, um, Jim Bulger trained Aidan O'Brien, literally. Uh, and you go through the horse's form, and it, he beat Wembley. He's uh, he was beaten in the. Uh, Vincent Orion National Stakes, but he wasn't right that day. He beat Cadillac, who had won by a million lengths on debut conservatively. And uh, then he went to Doncaster and won the Virgin Futurity Stakes. And the Virgin Futurity Stakes is a very, very interesting race all of a sudden because this was traditionally uh, a derby trial. This was really what you were looking at. It used to be called the Racing Post Trophy. High Chaparral won it back in the day. Um, Camelot has won it, but so too is Saxon Warrior, Magna Grecia, Cameco. Wow. 2,000 guineas winners. Mm-hmm. All 2,000 guineas winners. Yep. McSweeney is too big a price at 20s, so I am playing McSweeney as the proper bet, as the heavy bet, but uh, I will save on battleground because I'm not sitting there and watching a daughter of found a, a son a daughter was there a change as a son of found out of uh, by by gee, what am I doing a daughter oh my god a son Naomi. of found by warfront I'm thank you very you. much yeah you're welcome. Uh, uh, yeah Naomi you're great your host is a great podcast it's fantastic um you can tell the pubs are all closed in Ireland. Uh, no, I'm not consuming alcohol. Uh, so I'm not sitting back and watching a daughter of found by Warfront. A son, but line. it's okay. <laughs> son, oh Jesus! Yeah, uh, you, you, you were fine. We know. No, letting him bolt up in the two thousand guineas. Basically, there's too much history there. I think all of us that mm. have seen her race are very invested in seeing her son do well. Big time, big time. Uh, don't sleep on St. Mark's Basilica. I suspect he will drift significantly as we come towards the race. Uh, he might end up being third string on the day, and um, he'll be a big player. He's obviously got experience with new markers, but Battleground is, is the one that is 
the most obvious of the Ballydoyle horses. And to be quite honest about it, Naomi, for the for the flat season itself in Europe, it's going to be Aidan O'Brien and John and and now John Tady. and Tady uh, Gosden and uh, and following them because they've got some firepower to unleash this year. So will they are they are definitely going to be the ones that have the the power in their hands and we'll be keeping a very close eye on them. But uh, I think Jim Bulger can can get the upset and uh, that thirty threes that I told you about didn't last long. So I'm trying to figure out who you told. I uh, told nobody, but I do know that Jim Bulger is not called the master for no reason. So no, certainly no. don't want to be sleeping on on him. But yes, yeah, so much. Terrific action to look forward to uh, as well. It's just a nice opener to the Kentucky Derby Day. Really, in the morning, you watch mm. the 2000 Guineas. And then in the afternoon, you watch the, the American three-year-olds uh, strut their stuff. As we'll kind of segue into something completely different, because this is the reason I, I had you on my podcast, is for us to uh, review the action uh, at the Dubai World Cup last weekend. It was the 25th anniversary of the Dubai World Cup. Of course, we didn't have a running last year due to um, all the COVID proceedings, unfortunately. Don't mention it. Don't. No, no, no. Yeah. Well, we went on this year. We we continued. I was very fortunate to, to be present. And I know that you uh, kept a close eye on uh, all the action as well. So we'll just go in the order that the races were run. Nine race card. We're skipping the Kahala Classic because I'm not even going to try. I'm not even pretending to. I, I, I tried when I was out there. It's oh, tough. who cares? Who cares? <laughs> yeah, okay. Continue. Uh, we'll kick things off with the, the Godolphin Mile, of course, over the mile distance on the dirt. was won by uh, a veteran runner in Secret Ambition, uh, trained by Satish Seymour, who, of course, is kind of, you know, the long-standing trainer in the UAE. He's been there from the start. And this is an eight-year-old who ran fifth last time out in the Group 1 Al Maktoum Challenge behind Salute the Soldier, who went on uh, to run okay enough in the Dubai World Cup. But before that, he won the, the Group 3 fire break. So clearly was kind of circling back into form, it seemed. Yeah, I wouldn't have backed him with stolen money, to be completely honest about it. And my jaw was sort of on the floor. Uh, Tygo Shades is brilliant around Maidan as well. Um, and, and deserves credit for it. Uh, I had I felt sick because I'd backed Midnight Sands at mm-hmm. nine to four, and then was saying to myself, "Oh, Doug Watson, it's going to be po po po, Doug Watson," as the uh, commentator in uh, Arabic normally uh, yells um, as he was backed as though defeat was out of the question. And he then decided that they would go a little bit wide with him. And uh, that was his race over. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was impressed with the, with the, the ride. Uh, I was impressed with the, with the fact that the trainer was able to get a horse who has been beaten in this race in 2018 and 2019, as you said, no running last year. Um, I remember Firebreak. I loved Firebreak. I I loved the Dubai World Cup meeting. To be honest, I mean, this is like as a as an Irishman. Obviously, I love jumps racing, but I love flat racing as well, and I love them equally. It's it's impossible for me to split them because jumps racing doesn't have aside from France, it doesn't have the international aspects. 
Uh, and I'm fascinated by the international aspect that we have with, with flat racing and the whole bloodstock uh, thing as well. The Saddler's Wells. Do, do you want to go to Saddler's Wells or do you want to go to Stormcat, Naomi? That, that, that kind of thing fascinated me back in the day as I was mm-hmm. getting into betting and, uh, and um, uh, starting to understand the rules of, of racing. And uh, it's nice that Firebreak gets his uh, gets his due reward because he used to just rock up in this race and, and win it every year. So he, yeah, you're right. He won the the trial for this race, but um, I I wouldn't have wouldn't have touched him. Would not have touched him. And uh, all I can say is that it was a terrific ride from from Taigo Shea, uh, and he was he seemed to be just much more dominant uh and the fact that he was the oldest horse in the lineup um just means that it's an even bigger training performance from um from his trainer as well so to go and win the the fire wreck by the, the dolphin mile by six lengths is yeah just ridiculous and particularly seeing as most of the others were just strung out like chasers at that. Well, I, I think his his performance was franked or obviously looks a lot better by the fact that Midnight Sands didn't really seem to turn up. I spoke to Doug Watson afterwards and he said Midnight Sands normally is kind of the type of horse that travels in hand and he was struggling coming around the home turn and then just kind mm. of ran flat. And he was saying that perhaps coming back from that group three version of Harwin was maybe a touch too soon for him that he's more type of horse that just needs a, a couple of weeks in between so looking forward to, to seeing him come back as a we'll move on to the next race because otherwise we're not going to be able to cover them all and, and do them um, do justice so we'll, we'll we'll start with the dubai gold cup here and that's the the first of three records that were broken on the night subjectivist uh, ran the 3200 meters in three minutes 17 seconds and 77 and the Previous record was set by Vazirabad, of course, three times winner of the Dubai Gold Cup, and he set it in his last year, three minutes seventeen seconds, point uh, nine two. So clearly, the turf uh, was riding fast, and and subjectivist able to outstay everyone else. What well, was a tough night for for a stayer to to really peak because it was i do think i it was 99 fahrenheit so that's nearly 38 degrees celsius it was during that day so clearly a wonderful training performance by uh, mark johnson who was over there and uh, joe fanning coming over to ride yeah and uh, look joe and and mark johnson are kind of tied at the hip and um uh, mark's son is obviously uh, very heavily involved now in terms of the the UK side of things, but in again in Dubai, same with John Gosden. You can't um, you've got to have one name on the license, and that's it. Uh, so it's it's a win for Mark Johnston, and he he's a typical Mark Johnston horse in that he just goes out and uh, sets the sets his own pace. Um, I like the fact that uh, Joe just pressed the leader early on. Um, but five furlongs out, he just starts to increase the tempo, and you you'd almost think Frankie Dottori was on board, um, and he had them all at it, and it was game over. He, all he had to do was just blow kisses to the virtual crowd, and uh, <laughs> and and just get to the line. Um, nothing else could live with him. Uh, there was a 
a big a big market move for um, the Godolphin or Secret Advisor um, Spanish mission. I think Andrew Balding was trying to was hoping for for big things from him, but Subjectivist had really good form last season, and he he threatened to be um, typical Mark Johnson horse. He was run about ninety seven times as a three year old. Uh, I'm obviously being sarcastic, but still, like Mark Johnson just runs horses. Like, unbelievably uh uh well but he he has form with mogul the grand prix de paris winner and the hong kong vase winner for that matter as well um who we'll touch on a little bit later on too um they ran him in the saint ledger because he bolted up at goodwood by 15 lengths in a performance that was almost too too good to be true and that is exactly how it panned out uh, when when he was beaten by Galileo Chrome, and um, you kind of then thought, ah, oh, well, you know, he's not, he's probably a Group Two horse, but then he goes to Longchamp and uh, he takes the Pre Royal Oak, and you have to start giving an immense amount of respect to Mark Johnston for how he campaigned, and um, again, you know, la- last season, if we think about how how horses were being trained last year and and again to reference Aidan O'Brien very kindly was on my show a lot last year and he kept referencing the point that because the season was so messed up and we didn't know when we were going to get to go we didn't know when we'd get the green light to race um, owners had taken horses out of trainers yards trainers who are friends of mine um, which obviously was devastating to them. Um, there were uh, there were other issues within the sport too. There was a lack of prize money and talks of the British about that. But Mark Johnston uh, just came out swinging uh, and just did what Mark Johnston does. And um, this horse was uh, excellent at Hamilton, um, ran a brilliant race behind Mogul at Goodwood, he knew what he had, what he had in his hands. Then, York's a funny track when you look back at his three-year-old career. Uh, York's the kind of track that I would often ignore form there. Um, sometimes horses just don't take to it. Uh, but the Goodwood win was was too good to be true. Um, but what this also proves is that he's not a horse who is dependent on soft or heavy ground because. His two best performances were obviously on that. Clearly, he was running on good ground in Maidan, and he's absolutely destroyed them. What kind of an impact he'll have in Europe this season? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think he's... Uh, I, I, it's, very, it's very difficult for me to think that he's a Vazirabad, even though he's taken his course record. And uh, when we look at the Gold Cup um, at, at Royal Ascot and what that's going to be like and what it's going to play out like i find it difficult to think that he's going to be a horse that will that will win that race um but hey he could be a player in it and uh if if he's a horse that you want to back i'm not going to put you off 
No, it was it was a terrific performance and, and a testament to, as you mentioned, Mark Johnston's training regime and the way that he runs his stable and how he was able to navigate um, all the challenges of last year. So, uh, you know, international presence, as always, on Dubai World Cup Day, as we'll get to the Group 1 Alcos Sprint, who was won for the first time ever by an American-based trained Horse in extravagant kid for Brendan Walsh. Uh, we I did look back at this. Uh, Doug Watson has won it before in 2008. But of course, Doug Watson is American, but is based in the UAE. So we're kind of yeah. counting him yeah. as one of the count. locals. Doesn't, doesn't count, count, right? Yeah, doesn't count. No, no, that's not, what I thought. Not, not when you have. Uh, uh, I'm so sorry. I can't remember the the commentator's name, and I probably butcher his pronunciation anyway. Uh, but Laura King, who we both know, um, kindly introduced me to him on Twitter. Uh, he literally goes, po, 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 Doug Watson, as the horses, as a Doug Watson horse crosses the line. Oh, yeah, I've um, watched some replays and yep. That, that. Uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. But um, yeah, no, he's, he's he, I'm afraid he's, um, he belongs to Dubai now. The uh, The Americans can't claim him. Yeah, so Brendan Walsh, actually not an, not an American himself. Uh, do believe he's from your country, but living yep. in the US and done a phenomenal job there. Uh, has had some very, very good horses uh, recently as well. But here with Extravagant Kid, uh, Ryan Moore aboard uh, took the Alquaz sprint. I must admit, if you think of an American taking it, you might have wanted to take Steve Asmussen's Cowan, who was facing Elvis, but getting, but, you know, an interesting move. Of course, he ran, uh, it was closing into Golden Pound, the British Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. So clearly a very good uh, turf sprinter that then ran back on the dirt and came back to the turf. Or uh, what about Grey Emotions runner in True Valor? But it was Extravagant Kid who came out on top. So this is a race where I ended up kicking myself. Um, because I ended up backing final song. Oh, uh, yeah. She ran her uh, heart out. Oh. She ran a blinder. She ran an absolute stormer for Christoph and Christoph Sumion, one of my favorite jockeys as well. I just, I love his style. I love the way he does things. Uh, I love the fact that he'll just say whatever's on his mind. Uh, and the fact that the Agakan rehired him just goes to show show you um what a terrific jockey he is but um he did everything he could to win on final song and uh it still wasn't enough so well i have some reflections of him afterwards because i was getting a lot of the quotes from the jockeys and oh, i yeah. remember yeah. him saying because she was drawn low she's drawn in four extravagant kid had drawn in eight at the beginning there were two groups which was stand side and near side towards the rail and he was saying that he was drawn on drawn on the wrong side and if she would have been on the other side she would have won that's exactly what he said well, it was a bit of a mess of a race, wasn't it? It was like, mixed. They had two groups, and then the groups started merging towards the stand side later on. And Christophe Sumion came over from the rail side towards the stand side, so arguably she covered more ground. And maybe what he hinted at was that the track was better towards the stand side faster. Okay. Um, there's, there's also the point that like, there was one poor, poor fella who was racing up the middle on his own. And the jockey was like, uh, uh, left, right, left. Uh, what do I do? Uh, I, I hate seeing that. It's mm-hmm. it's never it's never it's never nice 
Um, but yeah, like it's it's frustrating. You see this at Royal Ascot the whole time. Uh, they split into two groups, and you're like, oh, God, uh, you know, whichever side is going to be benefiting here now is 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 the one that's going to come out on top. Um, the the reason I was kicking myself though is because of you. You, Naomi, yes, <laughs> came on the final furlong podcast, and you told everybody that glass slippers was a good thing in the Breeders' Cup turf sprint. The Breeders' Cup yep. turf sprint. You told everybody, and he ran against her. <laughs> was an absolute solid moral for that race, and he's beaten what a length and a quarter, two lengths. And I looked at him and I looked at him and I remembered your words and Barry Faulkner backed you up. Barry Faulkner was like, yeah, I, I, Naomi has stolen my words. <laughs> I think that was exactly what he said. And that meant that straight away I went, uh, I have to do some business, which was like, <laughs> get a betting account open quickly and get on um, glass slippers. And I don't understand how I did not put a scent on a horse who had form with glass slippers uh was ridden by ryan moore and uh, and trained by uh, an exciting trainer brendan brendan watch as well uh, i thought ryan gave him a, a fantastic ride brilliant that america have, have won this race finally um mm-hmm. and that's that's not said patronizingly because i i think that the more international uh trainers that we see come over the better um i think the only irish winner of this race was edward lyman uh, with soul power back in 2015 um so shout out to sarah lyman um who's uh, making her her own way as a trainer as well and uh, to huge success so far uh but good often taking the last two renewals and uh the americans finally get there and it was definitely he's the best horse on the day i think but it was he was the best horse on the day. He was given a brilliant ride by Ryan Moore. But it was a mess of a race. And I still feel sick that I didn't back him. It was certainly, there, there was a lot going on. It, I definitely watched it back a couple of times just to see what moves everyone was making. But yeah, massive congratulations to Brendan Walsh. We'll go to the race that perhaps has, aside from the Dubai World Cup, would have peaked the majority of Americans' interest, which is the UAE Derby, because, of course, it is a a race that does uh, contribute towards uh, the Kentucky Derby points tally. Uh, The winner gets 100, second place 40, third place 20, and 10. And, uh, I mean, this this was a fun race going in. I felt like the UAE Derby was a wide-open affair. A mile and 3.16, the distance... And I actually really liked uh, the Japanese-trained France Gold Ina. Uh, France Gold Ina didn't win, clearly. <laughs> uh, Rebels Romance came out on top with William Buick and Panadol uh, in behind. Also note there, Panadol ran an absolute cracking race, went straight to the front and nearly took them all the way. And do you believe that was only his third? Yeah, that was his third career start. So, you know, a horse definitely to, to look forward to. But it was... Rebels Romance that the, took the spotlight in in a race that I I thought was hard to put put my finger on because Rebels Romance came out of the Saudi Derby where a few 
others were reopposing as well. Pink Kamehameha, as well as new treasure, uh, John Gosden trainee, who did very, very well once again running in third here. And that was his second start on the dirt. Yeah, he finished just in front of the horse that I backed for the race. Uh, so you fared better than me if we were if we were in the uh, the, the match bet because I finished stone last. Soft whisper finished lame. Um, yeah, she she but, wasn't comfortable at all. I was watching her because I had some interest. I thought she might do something after what I thought was a really really good run inside where uh, she yeah, tried I to take so, them all the way. So too. And I thought the two runs in Maidan were excellent, but particularly uh, the one where she absolutely buried them uh, in the UAE 1000 guineas. I thought that was a, an exceptional performance. Um, and she was, you know, she was four starts in the UK and two wins last season. Uh, and, and both of her wins coming at the right time. They were both her, her last two starts. Um, so I liked her, but look, she finished lame. So to be fair, the horse just couldn't run her race. Uh, as for Rebels Romance, this was, uh, again, um, what, did, what did you make of the Saudi, Saudi Derby, Naomi? See, I, I think the Saudi Derby is, I wasn't certain if I could trust that form, because what I've heard from people that were there is that the track surface is quite different from the dirt that you would experience at Maiden. I was told it's sort of very loose, softer on top. Like everyone liked it, but in terms of, for example, kickback, it wasn't Mm -hmm. as strong and the horses came back a lot cleaner after the race, making me think that, for example, a horse like New Treasure, which was that was his first uh, dirt try, I wasn't sure if he was going to like this type of dirt where he was going to feel it against his face, so to speak. So I wasn't 100% sure if you could trust it per se because this dirt track at Maidan was going to play differently. It's, of course, a, I think a much more solid dirt track, much more resembling of, for example, what we would find in the United States as well. So, I, yeah, I was half skeptical. I was looking at it because, of course, the majority of runners in this race came out of that race. So you wanted to try and tied them together. But was it reliable? Clearly not entirely. Yeah. Yeah, I no that that was that pretty much echoes my my opinion on it as well. Um I I think this is a serious performance from Rebels Romance. And uh, I wonder if somebody at Godolphin going oh no, we really shouldn't have gilded that horse. <laughs> By Dubawi. <laughs> exactly, yeah. By he's got he's got he's by Dubawi out of a street cry mare. Yep. Out of a out of a Dubai World Cup winning horse. Uh yeah. Uh to be fair, he, he was gelded before he even raced, so obviously he was just very fractious and it's probably a, a, a batash uh mm-hmm. style of, of, of horse in the sense that he's just mad and let's let's not forget that horses can do serious damage to people um but it does mean that he can run in the first of all he's qualified for the kentucky derby but yep. under your rules he can run in the kentucky derby mm-hmm. under our rules he ain't running in any derby yeah because right. he's gelded yeah geldings mm-hmm. are not permitted to run which in, i find really a- weird what why 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 it's are they not allowed to- 
it's to protect the integrity of the breed is what the the official line i was given at epsom okay so running against less horses because some are excluded is making the breed better because or is this because they can't breed and hence can't be a stallion because clearly epsom derby winners are so much in fashion right now as stallions (laughs) (laughs) am i is this you know like that sorry that came up in my mind i was like Shots fired at Epsom. No, no, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful race. But we know that historically speaking, over the last couple of years, people are more looking towards the two thousand guineas winners as stallions than the Epsom Derby because we're looking for speed. Yeah, and it's interesting how that's changed because the who is the most dominant sire in the world? Galileo. Galileo. Um. And uh, Galileo, okay, Aidan O'Brien said, uh, I remember reading, I wasn't uh, as into racing at, at the time, sorry, uh, but I remember Aidan O'Brien saying, I th- he has the speed to win a group one over a mile, but he got beaten by a horse that he beat in the King George over 10 furlongs in the Irish Champion Stakes. It's one of the greatest races you'll ever see. It's a brilliant race. And um, people forget that Galileo actually, his final run was uh, in the Breeders' Cup Classic. So the Coolmore boys took a tilt. They went for it. And it didn't quite work out because Saddler's Wells horses didn't like the dirt. Um, but he is the preeminent sire. Like he's, he is not the preeminent sire, he's the bloody king. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Dubawi is emerging fast. As as a as a major threat to him, and uh, well, not so much as a major threat to him, but like just as a as a as a big big play. And the fact that Aidan O'Brien's going to have uh, we've got uh, a Dubawi by Alice Springs, a Dubawi by Bracelet, a Dubawi uh, out of uh, Chiquita, who was what a six million pound purchase uh, out of. Uh, Dubawi out of Seventh Heaven and the Dubawi out of Waz. So all horses that Aidan O'Brien would have known as fillies, he has these horses to train this year. Uh, that's going to be fascinating to see how they get on um, because he uh, he hasn't fared too well with the Dubawi so far. But Dubawi's, for some reason, love Maidan and they love the dirt uh, at Maidan. And I I've heard it. I heard a few people saying, "Oh, he lacks the tactical speed to go to America." I don't think so. Um, and what else are you going to do? Like, what what are you going to run him in Lingfield? Run, run, run him in I mean, if you have a hundred points, you have a berth in the Kentucky Derby. And Godolphin, obviously, that's a race that they would still like to win. So why wouldn't you take that chance? Uh, the record of the UAE Derby in terms of performance in the Kentucky Derby isn't too good. But why well, not? Sure. Well, it, yeah, it is. But why not try, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I'd I give it go. a go. Uh, and yeah, I like that. Well. I quite like the fact that that Geldings can can uh, run. And I'll recall Empire Maker being beaten by Funnyside. Um, I think actually Empire Maker might have finished third in the in the Derby, but then Empire Maker exacted his revenge in the Belmont. Uh, and this is what I love about American 
this is what I love about American racing. And I genuinely love American racing. I watch a lot of it. Um, I just watch racing nonstop. I love it. And I feel very privileged to be able to do what I do. But, uh, and particularly cover the Breeders' Cup and talk to you and this fantastic podcast that you do that you deserve an awful lot of praise for. And by the way, your Maidan coverage, well done. Like, absolutely sensational stuff. Um, people were talking. People were talking. You crushed it. Well done, Naomi. That's very uh, kind of you. I, I must give all the credit to, to my guests. They were absolutely phenomenal. I felt very fortunate to have Chad Summers, David Eagle, Joel Rosario all give tremendous insight. I was merely facilitating it, but felt very lucky to be there, though. That that opens up a lot of opportunities to, to be on site and, and to see everything. As uh, By the way, uh, it takes a good interviewer to get the best out of your guest. So, see Again, another compliment. Uh, brownie points for Kennedy, left, right, and center. Uh, for <laughs> Rebels Romance, what kind of a chance would you give him in the Kentucky Derby, and how strong is it? Is the Derby looking right now, or the Derby? I mean, we still have a, a couple of uh, Kentucky Derby preps coming up. Uh, we're still looking at the Bluegrass, the Santa Anita Derby, the Wood Memorial, the Arkansas Derby, but it's looking strong. And uh, let's just put it like that. I wouldn't back... Rebels Romance, as impressive as I thought the UAE Derby was. Wonderful performance in the UAE over that distance against possibly not the best three-year-old dirt horses that you will find in the USA because this is the easy route to the Kentucky Derby. And in the USA is where you have the heavy hitters. So to me, Rebels Romance is not going to be right up there. But of course, uh, anything can happen when it comes to the Kentucky Derby. I mean, a field of 20. When you were talking about um, having tactical speed, I do think that there is something to say for that because when you have a field of 20, you don't want to encounter traffic problems and it's just much more likely to happen if you aren't quick enough out of the gates. That's true. That is true to be sure. Um, so essentially, essential quality will eat them alive. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. I like essential quality. Yeah, but you're looking at you know heavy hitters for, for Bob Baffett as well. Uh, you know, Life is good and just plenty... Plenty of horses coming into this. Of course, a known agenda. Top Pletcher just uh, won the Florida Derby last week as well. Just plenty of interesting horses that you can can start talking about. There's, uh, unfortunately, there are many horses that I would take over Rebels Romance. And uh, I'm going to do an absolute deep dive uh, nearer to the Kentucky Derby. But that's my gut feeling. As Now we will move on to the sprint mm-hmm. race, the Dubai mm-hmm. Golden Shaheen, the Group 1 race. And this was, to me, one of the most intriguing races going into the evening. I thought the Shima was really going to be very good, and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, It turned out to be another record-breaking score, basically. We had another record broken here. Uh, Mind Your Biscuits held the record over the six furlong at 110.19. Zenden, for Carlos David, won it in 109.01. Now, we did think, going into this, that the track record was bound to be broken because the track had been playing fast uh, that week. Of course, uh, I do have to mention that, you know, triumph on on all fronts for everyone involved. It was a first Group 1 win for Carlos David. It was a first Group 1 win for Jockey Antonio Frezzo. Uh, the owners, this was their first ever horse they owned, uh, took them to, to the Golden Shaheen uh, LLP performance horse LLC. 
So a first for all of them turned into uh, a tragedy moments after the horse uh, crossed the wire as uh, he took a bad step and uh, unfortunately had had to be put down. So that is, of course, uh, something that really put, uh, you know, a big damper on otherwise a performance that the majority of people didn't see coming. I think he was 50 to one on the morning line. I do think he ended up going off at 33 to one. Uh, but yeah, what what did you make of, of that on face value? Because I remember watching it and this horse was drawn on the outside, gate 14, outbroke them all, went to the front. Antonio Frazo slowed him right back up to give him a breather and then he cleared away. It was just very visually impressive. It was stunning um, to the point that your eyebrows, your both of my, I had I had a James Bond level eyebrow raise, uh, but also I was cheering him on because I knew he was a big price and I hadn't backed him. Uh, I I dismissed him quite frankly. Um, you know he he'd gone to to top Fletcher's yard and um, Todd didn't get anything out of him and uh, then he he goes to to Carlos David and. When you see him having run an acclaim or Tampa Bay Downs, you start to go, ah, all right, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll dismiss him so from the race. Um, if I'd spoken to you beforehand, I probably would have had a bet on, but we can come back to that in a, in a little bit. Um, actually, no, we, would, we should do that now. You, so, so the benefit of Dubai and American racing in comparison to British, Irish, and French racing is that there's track work. Yeah. You get to see the track work. We don't have that. Like it's all behind closed doors. So yeah, every every see. morning we we get to see the contenders for the Dubai World Cup the week leading up, which is just tremendous value because you can start mm. looking at the horses and if there's a horse that catches your eye, you might start looking at them again. And uh yeah, Chad and I spoke about Zenden on our podcast because Zenden had been touting himself on, on the track in the morning and then he worked on the Tuesday, looked very good doing so, and you could see uh that he was a horse that was training well. Uh, his exercise rider, uh, Jason Garcia, uh, uncle of Carlos David, was sitting still on him the whole time, really having to, you know, not move hold him because this was a five-year-old that was tanking around the track now did i predict uh, him winning the way he did no did i think he was good each way value as i touted on twitter yes now i'm not going to say that all my picks were this good like that <laughs> wasn't the case but this horse was looking wonderful and that's what you got a my 40 eye. to one winner you get a pass on everything <laughs> for the rest of the year but i did start looking back at his focus of course Afterwards, there has been, you know, controversial talk about how can a horse do this well. And um, Carlos David had worked with someone that has been indicted. So there was a lot of stuff going on on social media that but we won't dive into this right now, because, of course, it, that, that's not the purpose of this podcast. But looking back at Zenden's prior form, I do want to correct you because you said he was you know, he went to top pledge. He was trained by Victor Barbosa Jr. before that. And you said Todd couldn't get a song out of him. But he did, though. He oh. ran second in the grade three Fred Hooper. Now, you think, okay, that's not brilliant. And that was over a mile. 
but that was a career best of a hundred buyer, right? The reason I'm saying this is because the horse that ended up going off as favorite. Now, of course, different distance, so possibly not as comparable, but just to say that Zenden wasn't completely without a chance. Yopon, his top buyer that he's ever run was 101. And aside from that, another 100. So clearly Zenden being capable of posting a speed figure like that meant that if just in hindsight, looking back, you could see that there is there was something there. I take it back. I take it back immediately. Once again, owned, owned by uh, Naomi on uh, her excellent podcast. <laughs> not, uh, not completely owned, but just saying, that, of course, we'll, we'll await the, the autopsy to see what the cause of his tragic de- death was, which was horrid. A horrid event for for everyone involved, and I couldn't stress that enough. That was certainly something that we will all remember. The only thing that you can say that's positive about this is that he leaves behind an indelible memory of a absolutely astonishing performance that should live long in the memory. Uh, hopefully, for the right reasons in terms of his performance um because what he did was incredible and um uh, like I, again I, I know that you put him up on, on twitter and i saw that and i was like <laughs> seriously you must be jet lagged like what's going on to be fair i am jet lagged and i feel i have been for the last week and a half but yes <laughs> <laughs> Um, hey, you got to go to to the Dubai World Cup. Oh no, no it, complaints. I this is the first time leaving the US in fifteen months. I feel gloriously happy and lucky that I got to go. Yeah, well, I can't even leave my county, let alone my country, um, uh, w- without like special permission from from the government. Uh, but it, it honestly, it's it's my dream to go to Maidan. Like I, I honestly love the Dubai World Cup meeting, and I really want to go there, and I want to want to. I, I'd like to do it. I would like to do it. I'd like to do a final front podcast from there. It'll be a lot of fun, but um, particularly with the amount of Irish who are who are living in Dubai, um, and we also uh, bizarrely have uh, increased. I'm suspecting this is down to you and Peter, because um, our country. Uh, listenership sorry to uh, just go on a tangent here for a second but uh, our most listened to countries are the united kingdom obviously given its population then ireland then the united states so um i don't know whether it's expats who are uh, listening in because of because of um covid or uh because naomi tucker uh, came on the Final Forum podcast and they went, ah, oh, we'll check out that show. Uh, so maybe maybe uh, Naomi's deserving of a producer's credit or uh, maybe we'll withhold that for another day. Anyway, the performance of Zenden was, was absolutely stunning and it wasn't something that I called and fair play to you for calling it. I mean, that that's sensational. And it's another example of how you can never have too much information. There's a There's a big debate in in the uk about sectional times uh, i should say the republic of ireland in the uk we don't have sectional times at our race courses we don't have them we were promised 
that they would they would be installed by January 2018, January 1st, 2018. We don't have them. Uh, there's no sectional times in the, in the Republic of Ireland. There's kind of sectional times in the, in the UK. And every now and again, uh, Racing TV do a very good thing where um, and you were watching their Cheltenham coverage because uh, we were talking about it. They do a, the speedometer and they show how fast the horses are going uh, in, the, in the jumps races. They do that for the flat as well. But literally people like Mark Holder and um, other professional bettors like, like him have to hand time themselves uh, how, how good a performance was. And when you see an international race like this and the sectional times are on the screen, you're like, how is it that we can't just get this across, that this is something that's, that's uh, valuable? Would be um, beneficial to the integrity and reliability yes, of the industry, so. even though uh, it's hard to compare sectional times at all the different race courses in Ireland, in England, because they're also vastly different. But still, leave that up to the betters to then compare that, right? Leave that up to them to use uh, to use that information as they wish. Let's get going with um, the th- well, three races left to go here. The Group 1 Dubai Turf, 9 furlongs, 1,800 meters on the beautiful green grass. And of course, uh, it allowed us to see uh, Frankie de Torre do his uh, customary you know, jump off as Lord North finished in front for trainer John Gosden in partnership now with Thady Gosden. And I, I'm not going to lie, I wasn't on Lord North. Um, he ran well enough in the Breeders' Cup turf uh, over that mile and a half up in Keeneland. Good enough, but, you know, had, in my opinion, tapered off form a little bit. He, to me, he wasn't the same horse that won the Group 1 Prince of Wales Stakes uh, in 2020, but came back in here and clearly uh, proved me wrong there, winning by, by three lengths. Uh, that was quite impressive. I actually couldn't crack this race. I, I, I honestly couldn't, and I ended up not having a bet on it, which was amazing for me. I almost backed Landed Legends uh, hmm. to try and read. Yeah, that, that kind of tells you all you need to know. Um, Lord, Lord Glitters has done himself justice, uh, to be fair. for the I was dudes. rooting for the old boy. I, I was. Yeah, he's he's eight years of age and what a hero. Uh, Royal Ascot winner as well. Um, obviously, Godolphin will be very disappointed with uh, Al Soleil, and they'll have to get him back to the to um, the UK and work out what the story is there. Uh, Marco Body's horses run a massive race. Felix and obviously the prize money is insane. So well done to Shane Murphy on that one uh, as he makes his comeback. But it was all about Lord North. And it was all about Lord North, a fair way out, to be to be fair. One of the team members on the Final Forum podcast put this horse up for the Prince of Wales Stakes at Royal Ascot last year, and I kind of laughed. I was like, are you for, come on, like Japan will kill him. Uh, Japan was fat as a fool uh, because he needs his first run because all of those siblings need their first runs and um, Lord North absolutely devoured them and that's exactly what he's done here and and you're right I was I was disappointed with his performance in, in the British Cup turf as well I thought he was going to put up a, a better show than he did and 
there's an argument to be said that we're being a little bit harsh there in the sense that he was beaten two and three quarters of a length. But he had finished stuffed in the uh, champion stakes as well prior to that. So um, I was I was starting to doubt. I was starting to to, to doubt whether or not he could actually um, carry on this level of form. Um, but he's not beaten far by Reath, I believe is the correct Arabic pronunciation. We had a big debate about this on the podcast last year, so let's go with it. Let's go <laughs> with it. Uh, so he he's uh, not beaten far by Reath uh, at York. And um, he's uh, come out after 140 days break, uh, no prep run. Uh, I thought it, I thought it was very interesting that John Gosling didn't give him any prep run in in the UK uh, to seek out an all weather race for him, or to seek out a, a, a race to prep him for uh, a Maidan, like at Super Saturday or something like that, uh, fresh. And he has absolutely bolted up. And uh, another Dubawi winning at at at, um, at Dubai, and it's it's kind of. It kind of speaks volumes in the sense that Dubawi is a son of the late great Dubai Millennium, and what an incredible legacy! He's definitely a better stallion than he was a racehorse, uh, but what an incredible legacy he's um, he's having on the sport. Uh, it's a shame that Lord North is a gelding, but it does mean that we'll get to enjoy him for many more years, hopefully. And uh, he looks set for a big, big season. And of course, that was uh, that kicked off the double on the night for trainer John Gosson in partnership with his son Thady. As the next race, the Longines Dubai Shima Classic, uh, they also took with Mishrif uh, going a mile and a half for the first time ever. And I know that we discussed this before because I was surprised to see him that far back after having been so close to the speed in the Saudi Cup, going a mile and eighth behind. You know, Charlatan, Nick's go, American dirt speed horses. Yes. And I'm very relieved that you have that view because I was starting to think, have I, have I gone mad? Like, have I lost my mind uh, or something? Like, is there something that I'm not seeing here uh, that I should be seeing? Um, so I thought it was a terrible ride. To be completely honest about it, and I, I, I don't ever want to have a go at a jockey um, too hard. But uh, you know, David Egan is what 20, 21. Uh, he's spending ten days now in isolation. Uh, he'll be all right. He's got a his percentage of eleven million pounds in prize money to be thinking about. So he's uh, he's doing he's doing okay. And his he's first Group One win on board here with Mishrif. Well done. Yes, you got in there before me. Um, <laughs> but to be fair, uh, the, I, I couldn't understand the ride on this horse at all um, because he made a move at one point to um, to go past a, a no-hoper. And then all of a sudden, he's gone back behind again and he's stone last. And uh, then he has to come widest of all around the final bend. So, no, I'm sorry. I, I thought it was a terrible ride. And um, I think he got very lucky to win the race. And, and I think it speaks volumes of Mishrif's ability that he was able to go and win. 
despite that that ride um the japanese will probably feel a little bit hard done by um that, that they didn't manage to to get the job done but it it does tell you that that Mishriff is a, is a horse of obviously irish bred and you know irish bred horses the best of the best um he he clearly is a horse of of immense talent and an immense quality to be able to go and do that and that there was this doubt about the mile four i was really annoyed really annoyed at john gosden for not running him in, in the arc last year i thought he was a cracking bet for the arc last year like he, he you take him over to france um and you you win the french derby uh you go back over to to deauville and uh, you take another big prize. Uh, this time you're, you're dropping back into Group Two company, and you you absolutely smash up the summit, who you've beaten just about in the in the French Derby, uh, and then you go for the Champion Stakes in Ascot. Come on, man! And like we all know why it was because of Enable, and Enable didn't. Unfortunately, she didn't get to live her dream. But that was not the race for him. That was not the race for him. The race for him was the arc. And he should have been, he should have run in the arc. Oh, I dare say and he will no, turn up there now. <laughs> well, there's no guarantee he'll be fit. Like, like mm. horse, horses pick up injuries. Things go go wrong. Um, horses lose form. Uh, all kinds of strange things can happen. So, uh, look, John Gosden is a genius. And in terms of trainers who speak about racing you just stop everything and listen to john gosden particularly if he's being interviewed by lydia hislop or nick luck or naomi tucker <laughs> uh he's just he speaks so eloquently about the sport and he has said that this was the plan like they've they've come out and said oh no no, no the plan was to hold him up all that way i don't believe that for a second I, I do not believe that for a second because you were doubting his ability to stay the mile four and you're then coming widest round the bend. Nah. Well, um, to, to, give, was... to, to, to explain perhaps the thought process for David Egan a bit more, what I would think the case was is that they wanted to see if he could switch off and indeed stay that mile and a half. So perhaps the thought process was towards David or whatever instructions was switch him off, get him to relax. And he did. And maybe yeah. he too far back. And I thought he would have been more forwardly placed. And, and in a way, when speaking with David Egan beforehand, I think he thought so as well. So it was interesting that he was at the back, but clearly speaks volumes to the horse's uh, capabilities that he was able to get there, especially after, you know, giving chronogenesis, the, the, the tough Japanese mare, uh, she mm. got the jump on him. Loves only you. Like oh, everyone had the jump on him, and the fact that he was capable of out sprinting them late, uh, to me, is just you know testament to to I dare say the star right now in the world. To me, would be Meshrif after his Saudi Cup win. So he got beating the best American dirt horses, and now beating some well the toughest Japanese over a distance they absolutely love. Well, this is what I love about the Dubai World Cup night. Like, you have true, proper international opposition. 
the one thing I will say to you is I agree with you. I think Mishraf is probably the best older horse in training right uh, as we speak. Right now as we speak, Mishraf is probably the best middle distance older horse in training. However, the horse in seventh, Mogul, how did he look to you beforehand? Because I think he's going to have a massive season. Well, of course, he, he came, um, well, he hasn't run since he won the Faz in Hong Kong. He did look like he needed a run, but that that's him, though. Like, he is also, yeah. he's always that barely type of horse. And I was told this uh, by Vanessa Bini Rao before I ever laid eyes on Mogul at the Breeders' Cup when he was running in the turf, that he is this sort of barely looking horse. It doesn't remind you of a stayer at all. When you think of a stayer, you think of a, a big horse, long stride. You know, that he, he looks like a miler or maybe even shorter. Like he's bulky. He has a lot of muscle. And perhaps mm. he was too heavy coming into this. I must admit, like I wouldn't have picked him in the paddock saying that he would have been the fittest of them all. He always carries a little bit of weight. And that's why when you said it seems like this family needs a run, I think that's quite accurate with him. Yeah. And it was kind of the same with um, Secret Gesture, who was a bit awkward, and would, would, need a, would need a run after a break as well. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton, the same. Japan, obviously, who I'm stunned is still in training, by the way. Uh, so we'll get to see some adventures with him this season. But I... I, I was speaking to somebody who knows his work rider very well, and they said he's a flying machine. And what horses do in their work doesn't always pay off on track, but Mogul did win the Grand Prix de Paris brilliantly. And it was the same week that I interviewed Aidan O'Brien, and he said, he said something that I, I did, I've never heard him say about a, a racehorse. Uh, he said... Uh, I think Mogul has been kind of just making a fool of us all season, but I'm pretty sure we've got the keys to him now. And I thought, oh, God, get stuck into the Grand Prix de Paris. And off he goes and wins. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I think he's he said for a huge season. I, I wouldn't, I would forgive him that. And um, But Mishraf is, is serious. Mishraf is a serious horse, and whoever's going 10 to 1 for the arc, you're insane. Yeah, and uh, Mogul certainly one to note down moving forward as well. As we'll uh, finish things up with, well, the highlight uh, that it's always bound to be of the evening, and that is the Dubai World Cup over a mile and a quarter. Delighted. For, for connections that uh, Mystic Guide was able to win uh, the way he did. Michael Stidham, first horse, first runner internationally for him. He's won over 2,000, I think over 2,100 races in the United States. This was the first time he traveled a horse uh, away from North America. First uh, Dubai World Cup win for Louis Sayers. So absolutely delighted. I was trying to beat him, handicapping, because I thought <laughs> that as a favorite Perhaps he wasn't up to the caliber of some of the Dubai World Cup horses, winners that we've seen in years past. Uh, and I dare say that's also afterwards you, you see people in articles on social media saying Mystic Guy, well, also as um, highlighted by trainer Mike Stidham, Mystic Guy isn't the finished article yet. I, I don't think he's peaked yet, so I'm sure there's more to expect from him. But looking at the field itself... What do you make of this year's renewal? And may I highlight 
that the third finisher, Magni course, to me is still an out and out turf horse. I do not know how that horse finished third. Uh, I would utterly agree with you about Andre Fab's horse, and I uh, think he was probably run because of his pedigree, and uh, maybe he was told to, but. Um, the little little Napoleon, as he's known uh, to the French media, because he won't speak to them. He won't speak to the UK, Irish, and American media, which is gas. Um, was probably uh, bizarrely forced to, to run him there, and, and look, he's picked up third place prize money. But I don't think we'll see him on the dirt again. I don't think um, he's going there. Nah, not going to happen. But um, in terms of the winner, uh, look, he he's. He's done it brilliantly. Um, yeah. He's won like a proper favorite. Uh, I love his pedigree. I love AP Indy as a, as a sire. And uh, obviously he uh, was the sire of Music Note. Ghost Sapper was an absolute superstar. Uh, so he's bred to be exceptional. Um, it's just a matter of whether or not you can get him to, to achieve that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that uh, you're making the point that this was the trainer's first win outside of America and it comes in the biggest prize of all, uh, or at least one of the biggest prizes in, in racing, uh, a 5.2 million, 5.2 million to the winner, uh, Dubai World Cup is, um, is a bit bonkers. Uh, I, there was a there was a part of me that was a bit sorry that we weren't seeing Thunder Snow line up line up in this race. Um, of course, he's he's at stud. I think if they brought him out, he might have he might have given him a good old run for his money. Um, but uh, I love Thunder Snow, and I think he'll be a great great sire, and I wish him well. But uh, I, I'm I'm fascinated to see, I'll be keeping a very close eye on Mystic Guide's career stateside. Uh, what they do with them, where they go, what they choose to do with them, because I think he beat horses that were essentially, uh, yeah, I think he beat a crap field, quite frankly, um, and uh, ends up taking five point two million for for his troubles. Five point two million UK. We're talking about yes, right? yes, that's, because that's it's important. 6.96 US dollar for first, Damn. nearly seven. Yeah, it's um, incredible. Uh, so uh, I mean, Michael's obviously going to be very happy with himself, and so is so is Luis getting that as they there. should be. That was a wonderful yeah, yeah. performance and a wonderful feed, and they got that horse to really peak on the night. And, and I thought that that was re- really massive credit to them. But I have to agree with you that it probably wasn't a vintage renewal if if you look at some of the horses that line up because if you look at the history of the Dubai World Cup we've seen you know the likes of Arrogate and California Chrome and even when it all started with Cigar he was a yeah, two-time I was just going to say Cigar year. yeah yeah, it, yeah you know it, it perhaps this year wasn't that kind of year but maybe mm. if Mystic Guide continues to progress we will all look back on it slightly differently. I'm going to be fascinated to see, and I will be keeping a very, very close eye on Mystic Guide uh, in the US. And I, when I say he's beaten a crap field, by the way, that does not mean 
that uh, it doesn't it doesn't mean that Mystic Guide isn't a star. It doesn't mean that Mystic Guide can't go back to stateside and crush. And um, given the way that the season panned out last year, which was just a complete mess, um, you know, with the Kentucky Derby being run so late and uh, fair play to the Breeders' Cup, and um, you and I did a, a show especially for that. Uh, fair play to them for holding their their date. Um, but you know, we had we had the Belmont with 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 a reduced distance and a different um, different distance and uh, a different time, and the whole that just all of it was a mess. I just kind of like you look at that form from last season and you go really. And then this fella comes along and you think, oh, okay, hang on a second now. Maybe we've got one. Maybe we've got one. And I, I think to, to have won his, won his prep run in the manner that he did, and that seems to have been a pretty uh, pretty solid enough race, but to come out here and, and win in the manner and in the style that he did, uh, Naomi, I, I thought he was, I thought he was fantastic. And, um, it's uh, it's not his fault that there's no one there to take him on. He can only he can only beat what's put in front of him. It was just his eighth start, so uh, he's definitely a horse who's got tactical speed. He's definitely a horse who's got uh, an enormous amount of class, and he's definitely a horse who can come forward. So I will be keeping a very close eye on Mystic Guide and. Uh, might even throw a few shackles on him for the Breeders' Cup Classic in the hope that the three-year-olds are are all boats this year. Not entirely sure that's the case, just thinking of the, the, the Baffert horses. But yeah, we I, I am very much intrigued to see how he will continue to progress. He seems like a horse that is getting better with age and terrifically ma- managed by trainer Mike Stidham as well, who uh, trains at Fair Hill. I got the pleasure to go there and it's just a wonderful facility. It's, it's very European, actually. Uh, they have a dirt track, they have an all-weather track, they have the turf. And it's you know just a beautiful area, very quiet, very... An American light, you know how, how we're normally at the track and it's always busy. It's it's yeah. different. It's it's a really wonderful place if anyone ever gets the chance. I was very fortunate to go there and actually watch Mystic Guide uh, put in a piece of work because he was touted to go to the Preakness, ends up bypassing the Preakness uh, and going to the Gold Cup, the Jock Club Gold Cup, and then uh, running second there to Happy Saver won the Tessio. So all uh, Maryland lines uh, intertwined there and then, of course, came back in the Razorback the, the next year. So, yeah, Mr. Guide, I've enjoyed following him. So, yeah, couldn't be more pleased. As Emmett, I'm going to have to bid you farewell and make sure that you go uh, back to bed because with the time difference, uh, I dare say it's getting uh, quite late now uh, in Ireland, isn't it? It is uh, ten past four in the morning. No, it's twenty. It's uh, twenty past twelve. And, you had me there. Uh, I was like, "That can't be right." It's five <laughs> hours difference. <laughs> like, uh, uh, no. no. <laughs> I could, I could easily talk to you till ten past four, except for the fact that I can already hear that my voice is fading. Uh, but it, look, all I can say is it's always a pleasure to talk racing with you, and um, it's a, a joy to look back at uh, at a great meeting. Um, Look, a lot of us are, are are stuck inside, and 
I know that in America it's kind of different that there's some states that you can go out and some states you're you're stuck in. So in Ireland we're all stuck in. To be able to watch the the Dubai World Cup with the exception of that terrible thing that happened to to Zenden, it was a joy to watch and it was a joy to watch Mystic Guy bolt up because you want to see exciting horses come through and it makes me wonder is Todd Pletcher now looking at Happy Saver and going, oh I'm going to crush you next time. <laughs> so this is what I can't wait to see as the season unfolds. It's going to be very, very interesting. Um, but uh, a pleasure. A pleasure to talk to talk racing with you and um, anytime Naomi, anytime. Absolutely uh, my pleasure and also echoing the sentiments that you just uh, expressed about the Dubai World Cup meeting. So thank you once again Emmett. And thank you. And take care. And listen to the Final Forum podcast. <laughs> you heard it. Follow the man's advice and check out the Final Furlong pod. Thanks to the In The Money team that continues to provide top class content. Peter Thomas von Hotel, Jonathan Kinch and Drew Coatney. The whole In The Money family with all the wonderful shows. Now I'm going back to bed as I can't sleep just yet. It's been uh, quite the week and we'll be back again next time. See you then. <laughs>